so we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but we're I feel like now since we're towards the end of the podcast, talking a little bit more about the darker side of it, since everything else has been like informational. Uh, so yes. what are your thoughts? So obviously you've worked in uh, a shop. Yes. What were their like um, like morals on like getting reptiles? Was it mainly captive? Was it? This is something that I do have some kind of hot opinions on. Um, so I I want to start by saying I really enjoyed my work at the pet shop, and the pet shop that I worked at was one of the better ones in Manchester. Um, I'm not going to say which one it was, but like I was confident that of like most of the reptile and exotic stores in Manchester, I was working at one of the best ones. However. It was no, by no means perfect, and I think this goes for like 90% of reptile shops in the UK. I think it's a very broad issue, not necessarily a shop-to-shop issue. Um, is that a lot of the animals we get in, so you order in these animals from reptile suppliers. And as much as we could, we would try and order captive bread, which meant it's been bred in captivity. No one's taking anything from the wild. It's an animal born in captivity and can only survive in captivity. It knows, could, it, you know, it's made for captivity, basically. Yeah. Um, so as much as possible, you try and order stuff like that in. But then they kind of, we would, they, you would still, I didn't order anything, but I know that there were still points where on that list was cat, like um, wild caught stuff. And there were still instances where we would order in wild caught animals, um, because of like otherwise there wasn't like a lot. Our shop was trying to get interesting stuff in, and yeah. by doing that, you kind of sacrifice your morals, and you end up getting wild caught or something that I think I I don't know if it's definitely called this, but this is what my manager would call it. It's called captive farmed. I think I've heard of that. Can you explain what that is? I mean, I might be saying this all wrong, but I know from like, there was just, there are certain terminologies that are used on these lists that basically are trying to work its way around the fact that it's basically just wild yeah. caught, um, but they'll word it differently to try and kind of get away with it and make it sound okay. Um, and so you'd get animals in from that and you can just tell, you can tell when the animal turns up that it's wild caught. Like, you can just immediately tell. I remember we got these, like, big chameleons in. And they were so... Chameleons, even captive-bred chameleons, they're difficult. They're They're anxious, shy animals that can literally die from stress. Like, so when you bring in one that's from the wild and you bring it to a pet shop that's, like, loud and has people in it and bright lights and a load of other animals, all these different smells, this completely different environment, it's not gonna survive yeah. it will it's like and so we had it for about a week and like and then they just died and you could tell because most captive bred things tend to have very perfect skin whereas if you get it from the wild it's usually got scars and like like blemishes or it's got like wonky tails because that's just part of just living in the wild yeah. is you, you get injured and then they heal funny um but also just from its attitude alone like it which wouldn't eat because it was just too stressed to eat yeah. and like you'd go near the enclosure and it would just like it was so clearly not used to a human being around it was so like it would just rear back it would go all dark um and like it was just incredibly stressed out and I felt so bad for it and I just hated it and I I remember saying to the manager like can we just get captive bred things because it's actually miserable (laughs) like I did actually buy um I took home a lizard from work um he was there when i started working and you could tell he was kind of like um wild caught but it was one of those lizards that like no one really was interested in and no one really cared about no one was gonna buy it was a berber skink um 
and he wasn't in the right enclosures and but like i'm kind of i've got a love for animals that don't and no one else really gives a shit about like if i can tell no one else is really caring about it i'm like it's my job to care about it now yeah and so i got this like berber skink and i remember doing his enclosure and he could and he was very very like scared and very very like kind of like he would puff up and kind of hiss at you a bit when you were in his enclosure but I was like, I need to redo his enclosure because his enclosures are wrong. So I started Googling him and I was like, okay, he needs to be in like, he needs deep sand because he's like a digger and he needs something to climb on because he's also a climber. Like he needs some stuff. But as I was like in there with him and I was just letting my hand out, he would start to get more comfortable around me. And, you know, as I just would leave my hand there and he would come towards my hand, he'd like lick it and sniff it. And then he would crawl up my hand once he realized I wasn't a threat. And there was just something so wonderful about like an animal kind of learning to trust you. And I knew that no one was buying him. He wasn't in the, because like we were obviously limited to a certain amount of space in the store and he was kind of an afterthought. So we kind of got given this enclosure that was too small for him. And I was like, I had at the time a spare enclosure because I just upgraded my bearded dragon. So I had this like um, just over three foot by like two foot like enclosure, which was perfect for this skink. Um, and I was like, I could take him home. Like he was like 30 quid and he wasn't getting the love and um he had this like wonky tail at the end of his tail he had this like little like these couple kinks so i called him uh noodles because he had like a noodle tail <laughs> um and that's like you could tell he was wild caught because he had this like broken tail at the end that had healed funny um and also just from his like you could tell from his um attitude because if you didn't interact with him every day he'd go back to being extremely scared of people but like I took him home, I got him into his environment and every day I would go in, I'd, I'd find him in the sand and like pull him out. And I'd just like, you know, I'd leave my hand in there and I'd let him sit on me. And he'd, I'd, he became one of the best lizards I've ever owned. Um, and like he, he would come and like crawl up. He used to, cl- he loves climbing and he'd climb up me and he'd sit in my hood, he'd sit on my head and I'd go downstairs and have my dinner with like a lizard sat in my hair. Like he was a wonderful to handle pet, but he was wild caught and like this is this is not me saying like get wild caught like absolutely don't but like i think it was more specific situation where i was in where i was like i know that i can give this animal a home that it it's not in a home that it needs to be in right now it's a very stressed out animal and i can provide it an environment where it'll be better and i can build this relationship with animal where it's not stressed out by being around a human all the time um and so like i don't know i just so i took him home and he was one of the best pets i've ever had um and the, the thing is, at that point, once they're in a, a reptile shop, they can't really go back to the wild ever, really. Yeah, I can't go send him back to where he came yeah. from, because, like, God, that'll just, the journey might kill him. So it was just kind of like... So I, I just knew that I personally, for this specific, this very specific scenario, I could give him a better life. Um, but generally, like, one of the issues I definitely had with the shop was this ordering wild car or, like whatever other terminology it was and like animals were just it was just miserable they were just miserable animals whereas like the captive bred ones would usually thrive and be very happy because that's how they're kind of born to live they're kind of built to live in these environments my other issue i had with it and this is an issue that can kind of come with a lot of um reptile communities local reptile communities so so there's a lot of it all comes down to breeding so our shop started because we used to just order animals in we started getting a lot of bearded dragons and we thought, oh, why don't we keep some bearded dragons and we start breeding our own bearded dragons so that we can sell the babies. Which one I wasn't into anyway, because I was like, the world has an overabundance of captive bearded dragons. Like we don't need more. People can get bearded dragons anywhere. Like we're going to end up with way too many bearded dragons. 
And so we had these two bitty dragons and we, we bred them and they had babies and then we had these babies for sale. And then we kept a couple of the babies and so those babies became adults because they get to about an adult size like within a year. Um, and then the manager, so the owner of the shop isn't the guy who works in the shop. He doesn't actually interact with any animals. He just owns it and everyone like, and then the shop manager and then us, the people who worked on the shop floor, we're the people that deal with them, like yeah. interact with the animals and look after them and know how they're living. And the manager was like, oh, well, let's, why don't we... Um, breed so like the the babies that we kept it's like oh let's breed them as well and i was like we can't they're brother and sister yeah like, you can't inbreed them. he was like oh it doesn't matter i was like what do you mean it doesn't matter you can't do that like because inbreeding is a huge issue i was watching something the other day online and this i this woman got me into reptiles like she d- does like this um educational like reptile thing in america and she was and she also does breeding to like finance it all and for her for her other reptiles keep them alive and i think she's now doing a zoo and that's all been financed by all this breeding and doing like school stuff um yeah and she's going she's so a lot of her 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 work is for children yeah and she's going through her breeding plans for that year and she goes so we're gonna breed this one and this one yes they have the same mother but one or two interbreedings is fine. And you're like, what? No. Like, why no, do you need to do like, that? Because it's not right. It doesn't work that way in the wild. And yeah, they're captive, but it's they're still like kind of genetically playing by the same rules as things living in the wild. And, you know, and there's a reason. The history has shown that inbreeding isn't a good thing because yes. it causes issues. And this is a perfect example because we, we inbred them. Well, I didn't. I didn't want to have anything to do with it because I was very much against it. But the manager was like, we're breeding them. And I was like, like I only work. I'm like what? I'm 16 and I only work part time. I only have so much power over yeah. this dude. Um, I'm getting paid like five pound an hour. Like, um, and he inbred them and they had babies. And one of the babies, no word of a joke, had five arms. It had an extra oh, arm God. sticking out of its shoulder that was useless. And everyone was like, "Oh, that's so cool." I was the one that noticed it. I was like, "That's got an extra arm," and I was like, "Oh." And it was like, oh, that's so cool. We've got like a five-armed bearded dragon. And like one of the managers, he was a bit of a dick. I'm not going to name any names. But he was like showing people. Like, customers would come in and be like, want to see a five, five-legged five bearded dragon? Like, And I was like, I don't think this fool's going to survive. If yeah. it's got an extra arm, something's gone wrong <coughs> in breeding. Yeah. Like, if that's the only problem you're seeing, like what other problems does it have? What's going on inside? And sure enough, it died in a few weeks. Yeah. because something was wrong with it and it had an extra leg like you know and it's just like it's not funny like you're kind of messing with a you're like fucking up gene pools yeah. and like i'm not i'm not a breeder and i don't know all the answers i'm not by any means like an expert on any of this but like i do kind of have some salt towards breeders um because it stops being about the animal and it starts being about money because I think some people who don't know anything about the world of exotic pets, something very important for you to know is that it brings people a horrific amount of money. If you get into breeding, you can make thousands upon yeah. thousands upon thousands. And once you realize that when you're a breeder, you stop really thinking about the animals and you start thinking about how can I make... Lowering expenses, raising profits. Yeah. And it's like, why are you doing this? Why does money matter more to you? Like, Because it's not like... You know, it's not like, oh, trading in, like, inanimate objects, where the object itself doesn't feel anything. 
these are real life animals. They're alive. They have hearts and brains. Like, yeah. the whole point of having a pet is for the love of a companion of an, the love of either a companion of an animal or the love of caring for an animal. So why would you want it to have these problems? Like, yeah, why would you have one of these problems? But you know, breeding stops being stops being about animals and pets and the love of other animals. It's about money, and that's what I hate about breeding and what I can really hate about certain breeders. Um, and also like the way they breed. So um, I'm personally not a huge fan of snake racks. For people who don't know, snake racks are basically like drawers. Like they're literally like shell. They have like a little, they might have a little plastic window at the front if they're lucky. Yeah, if they're lucky. But you pull out this drawer and it's like, it's it's all heated and you'll just have like some straight and like a water bowl. But that's like it. That's all that will yeah. be in there. And sure, a snake can survive in that, but it won't thrive in that. For example, and I do believe people should be allowed to have pets but i do believe there needs to be way stronger laws and guidelines in place for exotic animals like snakes because at the moment it's just a case of just like it's very kind of loose like people can own all sorts of garbage and like getting a license for venomous stuff is like way easier than you think it is and stuff like that i hate saying this because i'm someone who believes in a lot of personal freedoms but i do believe there needs to be way more rules and regulations when it comes to owning things like snakes. well at the end of the day that's probably the right mentality to have around it because it's not like you're like a drug or anything like that where like at the end of the day it's that person it'll only affect that person at the end of the day this doesn't just affect that person it affects the animal yeah the living creature that's being affected by this and like isn't really consenting to 90 percent of what is going on here because it's a snake or whatever like and there needs to be really solid kind of grounds for what you have to do to keep this snake there needs to be strong rules with breeding because fucking anyone can be a breeder and that's where you get all these like issues and people just doing it for the money like if you take for example Doncaster I've never been to Doncaster Doncaster is like a big reptile convention that happens in Doncaster I've never been I would like to go just to have the experience but um but what from I've gathered from Doncaster is it's just it's just a big room full of people who just breed for the sake of breeding for the sake of money but like i don't know just the concept of that upsets me whereas i went to the place i have been to which is the northern invertebrate show um when i went i actually really enjoyed that because it was way smaller of a convention with these small tables of people who would only breed like a couple of things and they just did it because they loved the animal so there was a woman there who was breeding um jumping spiders and i love jumping spiders and she only had three there she had like one that was hers and then she just had three that she was selling and you could tell and like her, her table was very sparse it was just these tanks little information leaflets maybe just like a couple of like feeding things and that was it she was just there just to sell the three spiders she was she had bred that just shows a love for them doesn't it yeah she was just doing it out of just a genuine love for the animal and like i went up to her and was like what are they like to handle and she was like here and like plopped the one in my hand <laughs> she clearly just wanted me to fall in love with them the way she had fallen in love with them and hey it worked i still have jumping spider and i'm considering getting one um but like you could tell that was someone who just at home just loved this animal and wanted to share that love it wasn't about making money if she was making money she should have been selling hundreds of them but she wasn't because it's not about money and that i think is what having pets is about it's about the love and joy of another animal in your life and getting to look after it especially with exotic pets where like especially with invertebrates i love like bugs and stuff 
Whether they love me back, probably not. They don't really have the capacity to love me back. <laughs> people always say that, like, why why don't you get a cat or a dog? Because it can love you back. Why do you like millipedes and stick insects and snails? Like, they can't love you back. And I'm like, why do you think I need to be loved back? My love comes from a love for the thing. Yeah. And getting to look after it and getting to experience it in my life. I don't need it to love me back. <laughs> like, that's not what I require from a pet. Um, yeah. And it's ha- seeing other people like that is what makes me happy, and it's what I like about it. It's the the problem is when it becomes a money making business. That that when it becomes about money and getting rich off it, that's where so many of the issues. That's where all the getting wild caught stuff, really bad breeding ethics, like inbreeding, really bad shops. Like I've been to some really grotesque, uh, like exotic pet shops where you just like if you don't know anything about exotic pets and you only know what a cat or a dog is. You wouldn't think there's anything wrong with it, but when you know even basic knowledge about exotic pets, you walk into some of these shops and you're like, this is actually like hell. Like this is actually grotesque and you should not be allowed to do this. And the reason I talk like this is just comes from a passion and a love about it. And that's why I get upset when there's these really bad practices. But I am genuinely like, I would always recommend like, if you're someone who's kind of bored of a hamster, if you're bored of dogs and cats like I am, like not really interested in the furry things, absolutely like do you get into reptiles get into invertebrates especially invertebrates i think invertebrates are a great thing to get into at the minute especially because a lot of young people live in very small apartments very limited in what pets they're allowed and might not necessarily have the time to look after something like like a lizard or a snake or a chameleon that does have very specific needs um unlike might not be able to afford the energy bills insects are perfect and I think one of the most forgiving things you can get into because they require quite small enclosures and usually you might the only heat you'll need is like a tiny heat mat and like you can get ones that don't feed live so if you don't want to get like a spider that like or like a scorpion that feeds live you can get stick insects and people think stick insects get boring because they just think of the Indian stick insect which I don't think is boring I no, think that's they're fantastic so I love stick insects if you do your research you get like the new guinea stick insects the same kind of care as an Indian stick insect, but they're big and chunky and they're fantastic to look yeah. at. None of them bite. They're completely non-aggressive. And then you get like um, my favorite ones that I really want at the minute are the, um, they're like these um, new, I think they're also like New Guinea, like black velvet stick insects and they have the little red wings and the yellow eyes. I think I've they're seen gorgeous. them. Gorgeous. Yeah. And like their wings imitate eyes. Yeah, and like they? the good thing about um getting stick insects and things like that is you because they're they're one of those things that breeding them doesn't usually cause a lot of ethical problems well they have so many babies you can have such a diverse gene pool so you're not having to interbreed and also like it's just one of those things where it's like that you know it's easy to make space for something that small and it has such simple care that they can thrive they can actually thrive thrive on 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 quite a low budget and so it's like, I'm usually not too worried about buying a stick insect from a breeder because there's people who literally sell them online and it's just, they just do it at home for a hobby as fun. Like they're just like, oh, I just love insects. And so I just breed them and I sell them to other people who want I, stick insects. I remember I accidentally bred my <laughs> stick insects. I got stick insects when I was younger. And one day there was just 
like eggs at the bottom of their uh, at the I bottom mean, of their also, coach. Like, and I was like, oh. bread, but also a lot of sticking sex um they reproduce asexually they'll just drop eggs yeah i think that's probably what happened to be honest yeah because i know mine did that my sticking sex would have dropped a load of eggs and i was like oh damn i got i'm a father to like a thousand now and i don't know what to do that's the only issue with sticking sex is sometimes they can drop like a billion yeah. eggs um but there are ways to deal with that and there are people yeah. who do this eggs too and there are also ways to like depending on how you feel about it morally there are ways to make sure those eggs don't hatch um, so that you don't have to deal with these hundreds of children <laughs> that you'd suddenly have to get rid of. Um, but yeah, things like, there are a lot of um, very, uh, millipedes, fantastic, fantastic beginner pair. One of my favourite things when working at the shop is when um, mothers would come in with their like little like six, seven-year-old son being like, oh, he wants his first pet. And we were thinking a chameleon, and I'm like, nope. No. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking absolutely not. And she was like, well, you know, we just want something for him to learn responsibility. And I'm like, yeah, not a chameleon. I'm not even think. I don't even think this kid should have like a like a corn snake or a get something corn. that eats rotting vegetation. So <laughs> like, like, have you considered a millipede? And immediately they're like, oh god, no, I hate bugs. Got too many legs. Mm. Growth. Yeah, like millipedes are fantastic. They're so slow. They're so docile. They're non like they don't bite. And they just they just eat like um you know just like leftover like vegetables and like soil and dead leaves. I think the words like detritus. I think. Yeah, like yeah. and so and they're super easy to keep. They need like very low heating. Like if you've got like a warm room next to a radiator, that'll probably be fine. And if not, you can get a tiny little heat mat. Won't cost you anything. Um, and like it's just about it's the only thing you have to be careful with. Um, uh, millipedes is just making sure you got the humidity right, which is easy to do. You just make sure the soil never dries out completely. You just make sure it's always a little bit moist. That's not too much to ask for when it comes to looking after an animal. And they kept in like little tubs, and they're one that's. And the thing that's the important thing about them is they are handable. Unlike a lot of insects, that are either too delicate. Like even like stick insects can be. They're extremely delicate, and some kids are just a bit heavy-handed. Um, some are just not very good for handling like certain spiders or scorpions not really handleable and like not very often anyway especially for kids um so i'd get this millipede down especially the ones that are in gorgeous colors like the like red millipedes or like the ivory ones really beautiful um and i'd get them out for them and i'd show that you know i'd explain the ease of care and i'd watch show them walking across my hand and show like oh it's so easy to look after you just let it walk across you um it's absolutely like super easy to feed and I'd let the kid hold it, because at first they're like, oh no, it's got loads of legs, uh. but like, once you get over that initial fear, and you just kind of see the animal for what it is, and kind of appreciate what it is, a lot of people would kind of go, oh, that's actually quite nice, actually, and like, oh, it's not, it doesn't feel as gross as I thought it would, and nothing made me happier than like, someone going, okay, we'll get a millipede, and I'm like, yes, <laughs> like, I did it, like, I made them fall in love with an insect, and also like, you know, it's just like, it's just changing people's perceptions and getting them interested in something new and like, I don't know, it made me so happy being able to be like, Look, don't worry about your chameleons, it's way too much for you, but have you considered a millipede? Yeah. And so many people just think it's going to be bad and then they fall in love with it and it's like... So now that we've actually ended that on a good note, I yeah, I'm going to bring this podcast to an end. Thank you, Mo, for, for chatting with me, with me about this. Thank you for and, having me, it's been absolutely wonderful. And thank you for listening to John's Time. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We've been allowed to use this music from Free to Use Music on YouTube. The person who made this music is called Milky Wavers. Feel free to go follow them on SoundCloud. Thank you for listening. Bye.